Section 9 of Myths and Legends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lucy LaFaro, New South Wales, Australia. Myths and Legends of Ancient Greece and Rome by E. M. Behrens. Section 9 Third Dynasty Olympian Divinities Hephaestus and Poseidon Hephaestus Vulcan Hephaestus, the son of Zeus and Hera, was the god of fire in its beneficial aspect, and the presiding deity over all workmanship accomplished by means of this useful element. He was universally honoured not only as the god of all mechanical arts, but also as a house and hearth divinity, who exercised a beneficial influence on civilized society in general. Unlike the other Greek divinities, he was ugly and deformed, being awkward in his movements, and limping in his gait. This latter defect originated, as we have already seen, in the wrath of his father Zeus, who hurled him down from heaven, in consequence of his taking the part of Hera in one of the domestic disagreements which so frequently arose between this royal pair. Hephaestus was a whole day falling from Olympus to the earth, where he at length alighted on the island of Lemnos. The inhabitants of the country, seeing him descending through the air, received him in their arms, but in spite of their care his leg was broken by the fall, and he remained ever afterwards lame in one foot. Grateful for the kindness of the Lemnians, he henceforth took up his abode on their island, and there built for himself a superb palace, and forges for the pursuit of his avocation. He instructed the people how to work in metals, and also taught them other valuable and useful arts. It is said that the first work of Hephaestus was a most ingenious throne of gold, with secret springs, which he presented to Hera. It was arranged in such a manner that, once seated, she found herself unable to move, and though all the gods endeavoured to extricate her, their efforts were unavailing. Hephaestus thus revenged himself on his mother for the cruelty she had always displayed towards him, on account of his want of comeliness and grace. Dionysus, the wine-god, contrived, however, to intoxicate Hephaestus, and then induced him to return to Olympus, where, after having released the Queen of Heaven from her very undignified position, he became reconciled to his parents. He now built for himself a glorious palace on Olympus, of shining gold, and made for the other deities those magnificent edifices which they inhabited. He was assisted in his various and exquisitely skilful works of art by two female statues of pure gold, formed by his own hand, which possessed the power of motion, and always accompanied him wherever he went. With the assistance of the Cyclops, he forged for Zeus his wonderful thunderbolts, thus investing his mighty father with a new power of terrible import. Zeus testified his appreciation of this precious gift by bestowing upon Hephaestus the beautiful Aphrodite in marriage. But this was a questionable boon, for the lovely Aphrodite, who was the personification of all grace and beauty, felt no affection for her ungainly and unattractive spouse, and amused herself 
by ridiculing his awkward movements and unsightly person. On one occasion especially, when Hephaestus good-naturedly took upon himself the office of cup-bearer to the gods, his hobbling gait and extreme awkwardness created the greatest mirth among the celestials, in which his disloyal partner was the first to join, with unconcealed merriment. Aphrodite greatly preferred Ares to her husband, and this preference naturally gave rise to much jealousy on the part of Hephaestus, and caused them great unhappiness. Hephaestus appears to have been an indispensable member of the Olympic Assembly, where he plays the part of smith, armourer, chariot-builder, etc. As already mentioned, he constructed the palaces where the gods resided, fashioned the golden shoes with which they trod the air or water, built for them their wonderful chariots, and shod with brass the horses of celestial breed, which conveyed these glittering equipages over land and sea. He also made the tripods which moved of themselves in and out of the celestial halls, formed for Zeus, the far-famed Aegis, and erected the magnificent palace of the sun. He also created the bronze-footed bulls of Aetes, which breathed flames from their nostrils, sent forth clouds of smoke, and filled the air with their roaring. Among his most renowned works of art for the use of mortals were the armour of Achilles and Aeneas, the beautiful necklace of Harmonia, and the crown of Ariadne. But his masterpiece was Pandora, of whom a detailed account has already been given. There was a temple on Mount Etna erected in his honour, which none but the pure and virtuous were permitted to enter. The entrance to this temple was guarded by dogs, which possessed the extraordinary faculty of being able to discriminate between the righteous and the unrighteous, fawning upon and caressing the good, whilst they rushed upon all evildoers and drove them away. Hephaestus is usually represented as a powerful, brawny, and very muscular man of middle height and mature age. His strong, uplifted arm is raised in the act of striking the anvil with a hammer, which he holds in one hand, whilst with the other he is turning a thunderbolt, which an eagle beside him is waiting to carry to Zeus. The principal seat of his worship was the island of Lemnos, where he was regarded with peculiar veneration. Poseidon, Neptune Poseidon was the son of Cronos and Rhea, and the brother of Zeus. He was god of the sea, more particularly of the Mediterranean, and, like the element over which he presided, was of a variable disposition, now violently agitated, and now calm and placid, for which reason he is sometimes represented by the poets as quiet and composed, and at others as disturbed and angry. In the earliest ages of Greek mythology he merely symbolised the watery element, but in later times, as navigation and intercourse with other nations engendered greater traffic by sea, Poseidon gained in importance, and came to be regarded as a distinct divinity, holding indisputable dominion over the sea, and over all divinities, who acknowledged him as their sovereign ruler. He possessed the power of causing at will mighty and destructive tempests, in which the billows rise mountains high, and the wind becomes a hurricane, land and sea being enveloped in thick mists, 
whilst destruction assails the unfortunate mariners exposed to their fury. On the other hand, his alone was the power of stilling the angry waves, of soothing the troubled waters, and granting safe voyage to mariners. For this reason, Poseidon was always invoked and propitiated by a libation before a voyage was undertaken, and sacrifices and thanksgivings were gratefully offered to him after a safe and prosperous journey by sea. The symbol of his power was the fisherman's fork or trident, by means of which he produced earthquakes, raised up islands from the bottom of the sea, and caused wells to spring forth out of the earth. Poseidon was essentially a presiding deity over fishermen, and was on that account more particularly worshipped and revered in countries bordering on the sea coast, where fish naturally formed a stable commodity of trade. He was supposed to vent his displeasure by sending disastrous inundations, which completely destroyed whole countries, and were usually accompanied by terrible marine monsters, who swallowed up and devoured those whom the floods had spared. It is probable that these sea monsters are the poetical figures which represent the demons of hunger and famine, necessarily accompanying a general inundation. Poseidon is generally represented as resembling his brother Zeus in features, height, and general aspect, but we miss in the countenance of the sea-god the kindness and benignity which so pleasingly distinguish his mighty brother. The eyes are bright and piercing, and the contour of the face somewhat sharper in its outline than that of Zeus, thus corresponding, as it were, with his more angry and violent nature. His hair waves in dark, disorderly masses over his shoulders. His chest is broad, and his frame powerful and stalwart. He wears a short, curling beard, and a band round his head. He usually appears standing erect in a graceful shell chariot, drawn by hippocamps, or sea-horses, with golden manes and brazen hoofs, who bound over the dancing waves with such wonderful swiftness that the chariot scarcely touches the water. The monsters of the deep, acknowledging their mighty lord, gamble playfully around him, whilst the sea joyfully smooths a path for the passage of its all-powerful ruler. He inhabited a beautiful palace at the bottom of the sea, at Aegea, in Euboea, and also possessed a royal residence on Mount Olympus, which, however, he only visited when his presence was required at the council of the gods. His wonderful palace beneath the waters was of vast extent. In its lofty and capacious halls, thousands of his followers could assemble. The exterior of the building was of bright gold, which the continual wash of the waters preserved untarnished, in the interior, lofty and graceful columns supported the gleaming dome. Everywhere fountains of glistening silvery water played. Everywhere groves and arbours of feathery-leaved sea-plants appeared, whilst rocks of pure crystal glistened with all the varied colours of the rainbow. Some of the paths were strewn with white sparkling sand, interspersed with jewels, pearls, and amber. This delightful abode was surrounded on all sides by wide fields, 
where there were whole groves of dark purple coralline and tufts of beautiful scarlet-leaved plants and sea anemones of every tint here grew bright pink seaweeds mosses of all hues and shades and tall grasses which growing upwards formed emerald caves and grottoes such as the nereides love whilst fish of various kinds playfully darted in and out in the full enjoyment of their native element nor was illumination wanting in this fairy-like region which at night was lit up by the glow-worms of the deep but although poseidon ruled with absolute power over the ocean and its inhabitants he nevertheless bowed submissively to the will of the great ruler of olympus and appeared at all times desirous of conciliating him we find him coming to his aid when emergency demanded and frequently rendering him valuable assistance against his opponents at the time when zeus was harassed by the attacks of the giants he proved himself a most powerful ally engaging in single combat with a hideous giant named polybotes whom he followed over the sea and at last succeeded in destroying by hurling upon him the island of kos these amicable relations between the brothers were however sometimes interrupted thus for instance upon one occasion poseidon joined hera and athene in a secret conspiracy to seize upon the ruler of heaven place him in fetters and deprive him of the sovereign power the conspiracy being discovered hera as the chief instigator of this sacrilegious attempt on the divine person of zeus was severely chastised and even beaten by her enraged spouse as a punishment for her rebellion and treachery whilst poseidon was condemned for the space of a whole year to forego his dominion over the sea and it was at this time that in conjunction with apollo he built for laomedon the walls of troy poseidon married a sea nymph named amphitrite whom he wooed under the form of a dolphin she afterwards became jealous of a beautiful maiden called scylla who was beloved by poseidon and in order to revenge herself she threw some herbs into a well where scylla was bathing which had the effect of metamorphosing her into a monster of terrible aspect having twelve feet six heads and six long necks and a voice which resembled the bark of a dog this awful monster is said to have inhabited a cave at a very great height in the famous rock which still bears her name and was supposed to swoop down from her rocky eminence upon every ship that passed and with each of her six heads to secure a victim amphitrite is often represented assisting poseidon in attaching the seahorses to his chariot the cyclops who have been already alluded to in the history of cronus were the sons of poseidon and amphitrite they were a wild race of gigantic growth similar in their nature to the earth-born giants and had only one eye each in the middle of their foreheads they led a lawless life possessing neither social manners nor fear of the gods and were the workmen of hephaestus 
whose workshop was supposed to be in the heart of the volcanic mountain Etna. Here we have another striking instance of the manner in which the Greeks personified the powers of nature, which they saw in active operation around them. They beheld with awe, mingled with astonishment, the fire, stones, and ashes, which poured forth from the summit of this and other volcanic mountains, and, with their vivacity of imagination, found a solution of the mystery in the supposition that the god of fire must be busy at work with his men in the depths of the earth, and that the mighty flames which they beheld issued in this manner from his subterranean forge. The chief representative of the Cyclops was the man-eating monster Polyphemus, described by Homer as having been blinded and outwitted at last by Odysseus. This monster fell in love with a beautiful nymph called Galatea, but, as may be supposed, his addresses were not acceptable to the fair maiden, who rejected them in favour of a youth named Assus, upon which Polyphemus, with his usual barbarity, destroyed the life of his rival by throwing upon him a gigantic rock. The blood of the murdered Assus, gushing out of the rock, formed a stream which still bears his name. Triton, Rhoda, and Benthesisime were also children of Poseidon and Amphitrite. The sea-god was the father of two giant sons called Otis and Ephialtes. When only nine years old, they were said to be twenty-seven cubits in height and nine in breadth. These youthful giants were as rebellious as they were powerful, even presuming to threaten the gods themselves with hostilities. During the war of the Gigantomachia, they endeavoured to scale heaven by piling mighty mountains one upon another. Already they had succeeded in placing Mount Ossa on Olympus, and Pelion on Ossa, when this impious project was frustrated by Apollo, who destroyed them with his arrows. It was supposed that had not their lives been thus cut off before reaching maturity, their sacrilegious designs would have been carried into effect. Peleus and Nellus were also sons of Poseidon. Their mother Tyro was attached to the river god Enipeus, whose form Poseidon assumed, and thus won her love. Peleus became afterwards famous in the story of the Argonauts, and Nellius was the father of Nestor, who was distinguished in the Trojan War. The Greeks believed that it was to Poseidon they were indebted for the existence of the horse, which he is said to have produced in the following manner. Athene and Poseidon, both claiming the right to name Cecropia, the ancient name of Athens, a violent dispute arose, which was finally settled by an assembly of the Olympian gods, who decided that whichever of the contending parties presented mankind with the most useful gift, should obtain the privilege of naming the city. Upon this Poseidon struck the ground with his trident, and the horse sprang forth in all its untamed strength and graceful beauty. From the spot which Athene touched with her wand, issued the olive tree, 
whereupon the gods unanimously awarded to her the victory, declaring her gift to be the emblem of peace and plenty, whilst that of Poseidon was thought to be the symbol of war and bloodshed. Athene accordingly called the city Athens after herself, and it has ever since retained this name. Poseidon tamed the horse for the use of mankind, and was believed to have taught men the art of managing horses by the bridle. The Isthmian games, so named because they were held on the Isthmus of Corinth, in which horse and chariot races were a distinguishing feature, were instituted in honour of Poseidon. He was more especially worshipped in the Peloponnesus, though universally revered throughout Greece, and in the south of Italy. His sacrifices were generally black and white bulls, also wild boars and rams. His usual attributes are the trident, horse, and dolphin. In some parts of Greece, this divinity was identified with the sea-god Nereus, for which reason the Nereides, or daughters of Nereus, are represented as accompanying him. End of section 9